Are you passionate about health and nutrition? Then check out the Nutrition Academy. They offer the most comprehensive, innovative, and transparent health and nutrition educational resource on the planet. They strive to separate health misinformation from reality. They give their students the resources and skill sets to think critically about what they read and learn. So you can use the power of research to make better decisions for yourself, your family, and the people you serve. The Nutrition Academy have kindly offered all listeners a discount for this course. So you are able to try it out for yourself with a saving of $50. Just use the code TNN50 at thenutrition.academy or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, we speak with Tom Cronin, founder of the Stillness Project and Vedic meditation teacher. Tom's mission is to inspire 1 billion people to meditate daily and achieve stillness. You will learn about Tom's new project, The Portal, a film that follows six real-life stories that all overcome trauma, anxiety, depression, and PTSD using a simple yet powerful technique. This is an incredible episode that will inspire you to find the time to be still and consider the question, what does the planet look like if we all did this? Hi, Tom, and welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to share your story. It's one I've heard um, myself by tuning into other podcasts where you've been interviewed. So I'd love for you to share with me and our listeners what your personal background is and certainly what has led you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. More than happy to. Um, So I started out as a broker in finance. I was, gosh, been backpacking around the world after finishing high school and took a, a gap year, which was picking apples in orchards in Western Sydney and then eventually buying a plane ticket and just hitting the road across America and Europe. And then I came back and I had a few months to fill in before going to university and doing a degree in journalism. And I thought, you know what, I'll just apply to a bunch of jobs in the paper. That was the old days when we used to have the Saturday morning Herald and you'd fill in, you know, uh, you'd get this massive employment section. And so what happened was I managed to land by default a job on this massive trading room floor 
uh, they were looking for some new employees for this new section they're opening up. And, uh, you know, I didn't tell them that I was going to go to university in a few months time. I just thought, you know, I'll just make some money and then go and leave, which probably wasn't morally the right thing to do. But in the end, what happened was when my trial came around after a few months, they increased my salary from the sort of the, uh, you know, the sort of test period to, you know, being an employee. And it was quite a massive jump. And I thought, wow, this is kind of exciting. And I just got swept along by the excitement of what the position was on this very hectic, crazy adrenaline rush trading room floor. And that was the start of this, what ended up being a 26-year career in finance of all things. But in the early days of that career, it was sort of late 80s, early 90s. It was actually the same year. I started in 1997. It was the same year that Jordan Belfort uh, started his career, who was the Wolf of Wall Street. He was 22 and I was 19. And it was actually the year um, Wall Street, the film came out, which was Gordon Gekko and Bud Fox. And it was when sort of the markets were crazy money was fast and everything was sort of very, gosh, I think the quote summed it up in Wall Street, greed is good. It was very much the theme of the day of those days. And so the very much a, a me period of time. And, you know, I just got so pulled into that whole thing. But before long, you know, I ended up having a six figure salary, a very fast sports car given to me by the company as a perk and given a corporate Amex card and just told to go out and win clients' business. And a big part of that culture back then, and I think it's changed a bit from what I'm hearing, but a big part of the culture back then was, you know, it was a lot of drugs and drinking and partying and really sort of reckless abandon with no rules. You know, there was no HR and no, this is right, this is wrong in the workplace. It was kind of like the wild west of finance world. So, uh, you know, this was all exciting and, and great fun. But what happened for me was I started to get a lot of the sort of symptoms of wear and tear on my nervous system, a lot of insomnia, some pretty severe anxiety. And, you know, this kind of kept exacerbating. I didn't really do anything but just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And then eventually this culminated into a, a full-blown blown sort of meltdown where uh, a few years into that career, I suffered really extreme panic attacks and depression and uh, agoraphobia, I had to leave my job and really severe anxiety. And so at that point, uh, I was facing you know, medication, seeing psychiatrists, seeing doctors, put on suicide watch at the local clinic. Uh, and, you know, it was a really really dark time in my life. I was really struggling with my addiction, with the a dark sense of distaste about who I was, a self-loathing and, um, yeah, just not knowing how to find my way out of that mess, you know. And so it was then that maybe divine intervention, I'm not sure, but I found meditation and that was really quite a significant turning point in my life. And this was before it was mainstream, you know, it was really quite sort of unknown uh, as far as in the Western world. I mean, people knew about it, but no one was really practicing it. Yoga was just sort of starting. And um, yeah, I really was quite affected by my meditation practice. It was kind of like everything that I was looking for and all the other things that I was addicted to, I started to find in this deep inner peace through that transcendent experience. It was really quite profound. And so I just kept doing my meditation and then went back to work and did another 16 years in that career and eventually left to, to teach meditation and share that message of the power of its effect on us with the world through multiple different means. So that's it in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a huge story. And one I really um, respect that you have shared because I'm sure you're not alone with whether it's a finance-based career or not, the pressures that a lot of people have in this day and age means they really need something else, you know, something to support their choice of career and the balls that they juggle on a day-to-day basis. And like you said, back when you found meditation, it certainly wasn't common in the Western world. And even though it's more of a household conversation now, I'd love to get your thoughts on whether people truly understand the benefits. Because I, I think that even though the research is there and the literature shows us how powerful it is, there's still a lot of um, whether it's barriers or just maybe disbelief around the importance of implementing a daily practice. Like what's your experience or are you often preaching to the choir? No, you know, I do a lot of corporates and, you know, there's a lot of non-choir in a lot of the places that I go to, <laughs> schools, corporates and places like that. So, look, you know, it really comes down to basic science and biology. And if we look at the body, it has two operating systems, um, unlike our phone, which has one, we have two. One is the sympathetic nervous system and one is the parasympathetic nervous system. And they're both part of our natural design for survival and healing. And so the sympathetic, think of S for stress and S for sympathetic. The sympathetic nervous system is part of the design to protect us in dangerous situations. And a number of things will happen when we're in that sympathetic nervous system response. That's the stress response. And that is, you know, physiologically, our, our blood starts to coagulate, our breathing starts to change, our blood sugar levels change, we start storing fat cells, you know, red and white blood cell count starts changing. All of these things are happening quite dynamically on a physiological level to protect us from a dangerous situation. Biochemically, we start to see huge levels of cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline pumping through our veins, and we shut down production of melatonin, serotonin, and oxytocin, the biochemicals to help us sleep, feel happy, and feel loved. All of that, again, to protect us from danger. Your body's primary objective in a precarious situation is to survive. It will trump anything else we're doing, whether we like it or not. If the body feels it's it's facing danger, it will simply switch on all of this functionality. Brain functionality starts to change rather than being creative, intuitive, adaptable, and, you know, um, thinking about sort of wise and... thoughtful, contemplative, intelligent things, we start to get very primal in our thinking and start to operate from reptilian part of the brain, um, which is really sort of very basic survival mode. So we really cramping down and constricting our ability to be creative and, you know, successful in life, which is why some of the top companies in the world are embracing meditation for their staff. So when we go into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the peace response, which is a very specific design in the body to actually heal from the intensity of what just happened in that sympathetic nervous system, then all of that completely reverses itself. Like everything just switches from one side to the other side and everything just reverses. So there's no more cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. We start producing melatonin, serotonin, and oxytocin. So I'll be in a big audience of 500 staff, which I was at recently at a fairly large company. I was at Ashet Qantas and doing a a big uh, guided meditation there. And, you know, very quickly, at least two-thirds of that audience within four minutes of me taking them through a meditation are literally seeing their heads nodding down, they're falling asleep, they're feeling really tired, and that's because their body very quickly has switched into the parasympathetic and all those biochemicals are changing. And all the physiological changes happen, all the brain uh, activation starts happening as well. 
So yeah, it's just pure science. And what why meditation so effective at doing that is because it's a an ancient technique that was cognized or created for two specific purposes. One is to rejuvenate and heal the body, and the second one is to access a, a level of ourselves that we don't normally access that's not in the very gross level of reality which is where we're normally sort of functioning in that's the world of form yeah totally i mean and you've already answered the question so succinctly but i mean it is about acknowledging the difference between that sympathetic overdrive or that sympathetic dominance and and unfortunately where a lot of us spend most of our lives so for you and, and your personal story Meditation was obviously that switch to start to bring you back in into that peace state. So what what was the direct result on your physical and certainly any symptoms that you were experiencing? And then of course like your mental health. Yeah, it was quite dramatic really for me. The, the first few weeks was the main thing I noticed in a big way, which is what I see with corporates when I'm teaching them in a massive room with bright fluorescent lights and air conditioning and you know 400 people in, 500 people in a room is that you can go into a restful state very quickly. And that's for me, being able to sleep again was just huge, you know, like to overcome the insomnia that was rippling through my life and wrecking my life was, was very powerful. Then um, because you're no longer in that stress response, which means your body's lacking the production of serotonin and oxytocin. So now you're in the peace response and that means that you're starting to feel just lighter and happier. Interestingly, what happens is those when you're coming from this empty state of lack and hunger for you know insatiable desires, you start to develop addictions. But when you start to feel naturally more fulfilled within your own self because you've got more serotonin in your blood, then interestingly, you just don't have the same cravings that you have before. So I, when I work with people generally with addictions, is that I don't really have too much attention on the addiction at all. It's not that's not the issue. It's the underlying state of lack that's driving the addiction and that's where I work with through meditation is getting their body to start to produce more of the serotonin and oxytocin so they feel innately fulfilled and those aches and desires and um, hungers start to just melt away and they feel more sustained in themselves. So those were some of the ones that I noticed in my life quite significantly and I was back at work in that chair doing the same job for, as I said, 16 more years. So I generally come from the angle that there are no stress full situations in life what we have are stress responses to situations determined by the subjective view viewpoint of the person that's going into that situation yeah absolutely i totally agree and i think again a really important conversation to have and it's just amazing to see the the transformation like i'd love to then hear your thoughts on what you've observed in the last maybe five or so years around certainly what the literature looks like but how we're seeing so much more acceptance of this like what is it do you think that's really making people finally understand the importance of that daily commitment yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, you know, that this has been around for close to 10,000 years <laughs> and it's only just now that we're starting to embrace it and that's what really blew me away when I found it. I was like, why is the world not doing this? This is crazy. And so that's why I started doing the things that I do with the film and the book and the Stillness Project. But in the last few years, you know, we really just leaned so much on science as some form of validation. You know, we really like come down to 
our very cerebral intellectual minds that we need some sort of validation rather than just pure acceptance that people are being changed by it. We need to have a science behind why people are being changed by it. So it's taken us quite a long time to start to collate that because it's expensive to do science studies. And, you know, spiritual communities didn't really want to put money into that. They just knew that it worked and that's why they kept doing it. In fact, I remember doing a retreat in Maui and I had one of the, uh, the American students came out of the session. He's like, holy shit, this stuff really works. Like it's been around for thousands of years. There's a reason for it. Um, so for most of us, it's personal experience, but now we've got science and that's what really kicks it along in a big way into the mainstream that you can just simply look at the science, look at the data and go, oh, that makes sense. Now I know why it's, it's so effective. Um, and so that's when it starts to get embraced by companies and organizations because they can see some quantifiable effect of it. But <laughs> I I, it's I think about also, the ROI. <laughs> yeah, it's about the ROI, exactly. Oh, we're going to make money out of this? Holy shit, we should do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it, it's partly because of that because you can see, I mean, there was a great study done by PwC on mental health in Australia and um, what came out of that was that poor mental health in the workplace is costing uh, Australian business $11 billion a year, and that's just through sick leave, um, poor productivity skills, um, you know, poor relationship, poor response rates, poor creativity. So, you know, it's, it's starting to get the numbers into it, which really starts to affect business and they're starting to see. But that it's working with the science and the studies, but also with something else, and that's a current urge and need to make changes because we're, we're on a very destructive pathway right now that uh, really severely needs to see something change because we're seeing exponential levels of information overload that, you know, I, I had a meeting with a large company that is a very household name the other day and I asked them about the systems that they have in place for communication with their staff and information flow and it was just insane what, they're, they're expecting their staff to do. They're contacting their staff through WhatsApp, through internal messaging systems, through email, through there was like four or five different messaging platforms that they're sending this barrage of information to their staff that they're having to be across all the time. And then amongst that, they've got to do their work and they've got to do their meetings. And so, you know, they're stretched to the limit. And this is while they're in the workplace because most of them are doing work before they get to work and most of them are doing work after they leave their work. So um, we're at a point now where um, our demands on our nervous system and on our physiology are stretched to a limit where we're going to see huge levels of de decay and deterioration in the fabric of our society if we don't start making some changes. Absolutely. And it's so good that companies are identifying this whether it is because they've looked at the bottom line or not like it is really about supporting our staff rather than just having that ridiculous or those ridiculous expectations which ends up for a lot of people looking like what your experience is completely burnt out and unable to work so then you know there's no point is there so again the research is a starting point for a lot of people that are very sort of data-driven to finally understand how sitting still could help your health. But I just love what you're doing. So tell us more about your upcoming film and certainly what you've um, created off the back of that. You know, I, I was really passionate about 
getting this message of the power of meditation into people's lives, you know, it literally just helped me dissolve and melt away depression, anxiety, panic attacks. And don't get me wrong, you know, I still get some sensations in the body along the way over the years of, you know, when there's intense times. So it's not like I'm completely immune to the world, but it certainly helps those extreme sort of situations. And so I really wanted to convey this and, you know, this was through doing online programs and speaking and stuff like that, but hot off for the back of the secret, which showcased the power of bringing an esoteric subject matter like the law of attraction into the households of the world. I was like, wow, we could do that with meditation. So I really got inspired to create a film around the power of meditation on transforming people's lives. And I didn't want to do it through a very information-packed documentary that just had lots of knowledge and lots of information with many lab coats talking about science. I really wanted to show it through storytelling. So we wanted to make a very impacting and moving experience that took us through a journey and an immersion in people's lives and showcase that it doesn't exclude anyone. So we have six very different stories that all have very different backgrounds and all have very different crises in them. And um, and then they come out through the other side with meditation. We wanted it to be quite experiential. I don't want to give too much away, but there's some really um, unique experiences in the film that haven't been done in other films before. So um, that was something that we want to kind of start it out with was from the onset was to have that in the film. Uh, and so that was the starting point was get the film out. And then on the back of that, we uh, extracted a book, which is in 15 countries at the moment. And the film and the book are like the inspiration for the next step. And then we have to provide the next step, which is the app where they can do meditation and yoga and um, listen to some podcasts and audios. And then there's also, hopefully we'll have this podcast in the app as well for people to listen to. And then um, there will be um, also, there's also a masterclass, which is just getting launched as we speak. Uh, And that's a masterclass 12-week program on overcoming anxiety and depression. Wow. I think that's such a beautiful place to start because it can be really overwhelming for someone that's new to the space. You know, certainly for you, you've got decades of experience now, but I can only imagine that a starting point, especially when sitting still is one of the more challenging things you can do when you're anxious. Um, it's so nice to have that, that, that guidance. Yeah. And we wanted to make it holistic. So that masterclass you know, I, I put all of my research of 25 years into w- what sort of things you can do to help reduce the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And we look at it from that angle. We, we don't treat them as your, your life sentence or something that you're born with. We treat it as a symptom that's cu- giving you guidance to make some changes. And so we come from the standpoint in that course that if we make specific changes in lifestyle habits, what we eat, what we drink, um, you know, whether we're doing yoga, exercise, meditation, it's got a lot of different modalities for change in there and for bringing about that parasympathetic nervous system state so that you will start to basically melt away those symptoms of anxiety and depression. Yeah, I love it. And so with the film, The Portal, um, I love how, yeah, you've made it that, I guess, anecdotal as well as looking at the literature because it is really learning from others as to how it's really changed their life as we have learned from you and, and your journey. So, yeah, what was your big takeaway if you could share one or two things from the stories that you learnt while you were producing the film? 
well, gosh, I mean, one thing I took away was just how blessed I am, you know, like I, Mm. you know, I suffered with anxiety and depression, you know, through the years, but when you see what other people have been through and these such incredibly intense stories and incredibly difficult childhoods and, and, you know, I had a really good childhood. I had great parents. I had a great upbringing. Um, you know, mine was quite self-induced just by the nature of the job and a lot of the, the sort of lifestyle habits, which were indulgent, narcissistic sort of drug-taking habits. But it wasn't because I had traumatic childhood and things like that. So you look at what other people have had to go through. It was just a sense of, A, gratitude for my own personal journey and experience and how blessed it's been. But also uh, how how challenging some people's lives are to to overcome some of this deep conditioned experiences that they've had and that yeah it's it's um it's a tough world out there yeah absolutely and it does really give you that that perspective was there any one story that you could share with us as a little bit of a, a sneak peek but also something that you found quite profound I look, I think, I mean, they're all so amazing. It's hard to single one out because they're all so different but also amazing. I mean, you know, Zway is a, a classic example of incredibly intense childhood trauma. Her story in the book's got a lot of depth, more depth in the film, but incredible childhood trauma before she's even like two years old. And then obviously going through growing up in a ghetto and seeing people shot and having to clean, you know, horrible dead body parts out of the you know the, the restaurant that she worked in and and then um you know dealing with her harvard journey but then to come out of that and be a meditation teacher you know and to be a voice of calm and clarity you know she's got a great business called calm clarity and so it, this is what is really what we wanted to showcase the power of meditation to clean the slate of all of that past experience and trauma and to almost build your life anew. And we have this incredible capacity for alchemy. We have this incredible capacity for transformation, every single one of us, regardless of our background. And this is what we wanted to showcase is that a lot of us kind of get so pulled into our story and our drama and our life experiences that it defines us for our entire lives. And what we have to do is break the shackles of the impact of that. We call it in Sanskrit moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A, which is freedom from the binding effect of life, your life, your experiences, and to walk clearly and, and freely in life, not affected and bound by those past experiences. And meditation is just one of the very effective and powerful devices or tools that we can use for that to happen. It's very difficult to do that on our own without using some form of assistance or tool and as much as therapy is good, uh, I'm not sure it's enough alone and meditation might not be enough alone either i think it's a very powerful tool that works well with other modalities um to um to break free of that conditioning so that's a a big story i felt was conveyed very well with uh in the film yeah yeah so good what else did you learn along the way whether it was your own personal journey or the film um, or something that you continue to share with your corporates. Like I'd love to see or understand your views on maybe what else we can do or even where to start for someone that's finding it really challenging to commit to a daily practice. Okay, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, what the film did for me in a big way was teach me humility. 
it was a very difficult process. I was full of hubris and spiritual elitism coming into that project. I thought I kind of had it all down pat and, and had mastered enlightenment and the world and spirituality. And then I started this project and realized that I was a long way from home and just mm-hmm. how difficult it was to, you know, we had a lot of challenges. It was very difficult and, and we're not completely free of them either. So um, it kind of really brought up things that I needed to see about myself. And that has been one of my greatest teachers, I think, to learn um, humility and spiritual humility and acceptance of all paths and all traditions and all methods because they're all diverse and unique. As we saw in the film, we really wanted to keep the film neutral and keep it balanced so that it's inclusive of all traditions and all practices. We had some people that were potentially going to invest in the film and they said that they wouldn't because it didn't have enough Buddhism in it. And we're like, well, we're not going to promote any particular region whatsoever. And so um, that's something that, um, you know, we wanted to try and keep that neutral. So that's what the film taught me. As far as, um, you know, you mentioned something about the corporates. Look, where do they start? I think, um, you know, the simple act of whatever the devices that you're using, because there's a multitude of ways that we can quiet our mind down. Meditation and various forms of meditation are literally the portal. They're the pathway. They're not the destination. That's why it's called the portal because meditation is the portal. It's the pathway through from noisiness and identification with the individual, the ego, uh, being attracted and pulled and, uh, and distracted by the world around us but going through this portal into silence and stillness is is really essential for us to really embrace and embody and experience the fullness of who we are because until then we're in this deluded uh, egotistical state. When I say egotistical, I don't mean, hey, I'm better than everyone else. What I mean is that identification with the ego. Um, which is a very confused state because if someone says you're amazing, you feel amazing. If someone says you're a horrible person, then you start thinking you're a horrible person. So the ego is very confused and very easily influenced by feedback. But when we transcend that and start to experience a deeper level of knowingness about ourselves, which is this pure consciousness or pure awareness, it, it that doesn't get influenced by the world around it and feedback. It just is what it is. It's just pure presence and just observation and silence and bliss and unconditional love. And so until we experience that aspect of ourselves, we're really walking through life in a substandard experience of who we are. It's a very mediocre experience and it's the problem that we're currently facing on the world in the moment is that we're just, we just don't have enough awakened experiences on the planet and that's what I'm inspired to bring to the world. Wow. Yeah, I think it's a challenging space. Like I know you've probably been asked the question before, but what what's your what are your thoughts on how social media is influencing that lack of awakened experience? And any tips on how we would navigate that? Yeah, it's a great question. Is that you know everything's got polarity. You know your family life will have polarity. It's got incredible um, benefits and incredible um, highs and pleasure in it, and it's also got a polarity of incredible challenges in it and scarring and all sorts of things and your job and your marriage and our money everything has this sort of polarity playing out in it and social media is the same you know social media is a great platform for conveying message you know here i am talking to you in a very different location and you'll put that up onto a platform and 
people all around the world will be able to hear that. So it has this capacity to unite and connect us and convey powerful messages that can transform lives. So it is part of the evolutionary shift into a new era of time where we can have an awakened and united society. And I think that social media is one of the components for that to actually prevail and happen. At the same time, the negative aspect of social media is that it, it proliferates and accentuates the ego. Uh, we get, as soon as we start looking at our Instagram, as soon as we start liking likes, as soon as we start um, being attracted to the idea that we look good and we need feedback and we need more followers and we need more comments and we get more comments and I have more than they put that person or I have less than that person. So what it does is it really accentuates our egotistical tendencies and that's why we're seeing extreme levels of anxiety and depression happening in our teenagers today where their egos are very, very vulnerable and sensitive because they haven't quite identified and learned who they are yet. And so most adult, adults haven't either. I'm still trying to work it out myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but for teenagers, it's really, really brutally challenging for them. I've got two 17-year-olds. So um, we've seen the worst of it now. They're, they've managed to harness the power of social media and not get pulled into it as much. But certainly between the years of, I think, 13 to 16 is a very vulnerable time for the teenagers of the world. And I think we're going to have to walk this one with a lot of tenderness and care. So what did you share with your children that you thought really helped? You know, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one with teenagers because, you know, they, they don't like to be told what they should and shouldn't do. They're, they're in this uh, really interesting time where they're trying to work it out themselves and they want to work it out themselves and they kind of need to work it out themselves. And so a lot of it is about asking them questions and seeing what they can come up with. And so, um, you know, how is that working out for you? You know, how do you feel if you're on your phone till one in the morning and you've got to go to school in six hours time uh, and then you're struggling all day? And how does that feel when you're not getting good grades? How does that feel when you're so stressed because of other people potentially having comments on your social media feed? Or um, So just really getting them to do some self-inquiry and uh, I think that's a really powerful way to get them to start to work some of these things out themselves. Uh, my kids don't respond very well to my instructions. <laughs> I don't know if other parents find the same with teenagers. So a lot of it's just, um, and sometimes I can't help but give instruction because that's by default partly the nature of an adult. But um, I have to learn over time to somehow let them work it out, but help them to try to work it out themselves. I think the questions are a great piece of advice because I, I see it similarly in, you know, being a nutritionist, like um, let's say it could be you, you could be giving your daughter or your son or your wife advice and it's just heard really differently than mm. me talking to them about nutrition. And so, you know, like we've got to look at ways that we can approach things differently. So, yeah, getting them to understand how they feel when they're staring at a screen all day or, or, or all night yeah. is yeah. a good question that they could then explore themselves. Yeah, and I just think, you know, with nutrition as well, it comes down to the same thing, you know, where we're nourishing their body on just different planes and levels, but it's the same thing. It's just do your research, you know, try this for two weeks, three weeks, and let me know how you feel. And I always come from this angle that there's always this pe pleasure pain dynamic. So um, 
you know, and it's either a little bit of pain first for pleasure or a little bit of pleasure first for pain. So for instance, um, the pleasure with eating a bowl of ice cream comes first, but the pain will come later. Whereas going for a, a jog uh, instead of the bowl of ice cream might be the pain dynamic first, but then the pleasure will come later. So it's just like, you're going to play out with this dynamic anyway. Doing your homework um, will be a bit of a possible pain dynamic, but then the pleasure will become when you get really good grades. And you just get to play around with that pleasure-pain dynamic. But if you think you're just going to get pleasure, 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 then start to have a deeper look at what you're doing and how you're feeling as a result of those actions and then come up with your own summation of what you think is happening here. The polarity, like the yin and the yang, I think that's just another example. Mm. And I love that ice cream versus running analogy. I think I might borrow that with some of my clients. Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> it could be the ice cream versus the green smoothie analogy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, gosh, I can't wait to see the portal. Like, Tell me more about the timeline there and exactly how we can view your film. Yeah, so it's, it is in a sort of a sequence of release um, phases that we're, we're going through. The first one was where we self-distribute. So we did that in Australia, New Zealand and USA where we actually took it ourselves as a production team to the cinemas and we put that in the cinemas. We didn't go through a what's called a distribution company um, like a Lionsgate or Paramount. So we, we actually self-distributed and that was a really exciting and amazing experience to, to be doing that with Q&As and to be on the ground with the audiences and, you know, sharing that in a communal experience in a cinema. Um, and so then we went from self-distribution into what's called hosted screening. We're in that phase still now. We're just coming to the end of that where people can go to our website, enterthaportal.com and say, hey, I want to put this film on in a cinema with my community. And it might be in a small town. It might be, um, you know, in a large city. But if they've got enough people that they think that they can bring to a cinema, whether it's a community like a yoga center or meditation center or just friends and family or whatever, then they can put that on in a cinema and they get a percentage of the ticket sales and we help support the sale of that. But it's really we provide the cinema, we provide the, the movie, and they just bring the community to that experience. Um, so that's still happening now. We've got screenings around the world and people can, um, either see if it's screening in their local community, buy a ticket off our website for that screening, or they can um, potentially host their own screening. And then the next stage, which we're just about to go into as well simultaneously, is licensing the screen. And that's where rather than being in cinemas, now we move into yoga centres, meditation centres, libraries, prisons, um, corporations, schools, universities. And so we're just bringing on a team of people to start to... Um, basically be telemarketers to sell those licenses around the world where um, communities can still watch it in a communal experience. We're really trying to keep the film in a communal experience as much as possible because I'll give you a little secret away. There is a, a meditation in the film and it's really powerful when you have people sitting in this group experience in the middle of a movie and meditating in silence. It's really a beautiful thing to watch. And so um, we're still in that communal experience through licensing them. Anyone can buy a license now. Um, they're sort of ranging prices depending on the size of the organisation and they can approach us through our website for that. And then after that, we'll go to digital. That's where people will be able to buy it, rent it or gift it through our own platform and potentially some other platforms. And then finally, way, 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 way down the track, we'll get to something like um, we call it SVOD, which is subscription on demand, and that's something like Netflix or I think Hulu does subscription. Um, so where 
once it hits Netflix, they'll give you a really small sum of money. Hopefully they'll give us a large sum of money. But um, <laughs> once it hits Netflix, then basically it will be very rarely people will rent it or buy it or do anything with it outside of Netflix because nearly everyone has Netflix. So it'll pretty much be consumed there. Oh, I can't wait for that day. That's going to be incredible for it to be <laughs> literally everywhere in the world. Yeah, we're, we're excited too. You know, it's, it's, it's been hard and it's a very patient journey for us to sort of hold back from that because, um, you know, the first thing you want with your film is for the whole world to watch it straight away. But what that would do would deprive the communal group experience and, um, and we really wanted to at least give it as much of that as possible before it goes to people eating chocolate chip ice cream, checking their Instagram and watching the film at the same time while they're patting their dog. That's what's <laughs> going to happen pretty much once it gets to Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the group experience sounds incredible. So I can certainly see why um, the, you know, the creating your own community and putting on a screening would be so, so amazing. Yeah. Um, and you also have a book that we can access to, um, sorry, access in Australia at least via Booktopia and um, internationally via Book Depository and then um, Kindles and audiobooks. So that's also really exciting. Yeah, the book's going really well. You know, we're in um, 15 countries on, on bookshelves, which is quite phenomenal. Um, you know, it's great to still, it's been out since September last year and to still see it on shelves in bookstores. So it's obviously... I mean, we get messages all the time because the books are very deep immersion into the stories, much deeper. You know, you, we interviewed our stories uh, for four hours and in the film we probably get about six minutes of those stories featured. That's where they're actually talking. Um, so there's, you know, three hours and 53 minutes worth of content that didn't make it into the film for each story. And so the book's a way for us to capture those richer stories in more depth and um, it's we get messages of people that have been really their hearts been cracked open. There we had one woman in Taiwan just the other day sent us a message that she was sitting in a park listening to it on Audible, and she was bawling her eyes out. And she just said, you know, this has moved her so much. And so um, we'd love hearing those messages. So the book's been really touching people, which is great to see, and the film as well. But yeah, it's incredible. You must get so many stories like that, and. Again, like obviously as part of your commitment just to um, reduce stress and chaos around the, around the world, like it's just a powerful way to reach almost everyone for them to learn firsthand how such a commitment to meditation can transform their health. Yeah, you know, this was interesting seeing it unfold and, I, you know, I guess for anyone that's listening, understanding the power of your mind and intention and visualization that seven years ago, this was an idea that I pulled out of the field of infinite possibility, pure potentiality. And over time, when you, um, you know, start to put those thoughts and intentions into action and go about the manifestation of them, then here we are now seeing that all unfold and play out is really exciting and really rewarding. And we're still not quite where we had intended, but that's a part of the process that you have to have patience and trust that it will get to the sort of place that you always intended it to and just keep moving along that timeline, acknowledging that the, the point of cognition of, of the intention to the manifestation does require a timeline of patience. Oh, it doesn't. It? And I was at a um, seminar last week and, um, 
the Elizabeth Gilbert was speaking and she shared with us that it took her 20 years to develop a daily meditation practice and, and how much that has changed her life. And it really got me thinking. It got me thinking, do I want to wait 20 years to, <laughs> to finally say that I've been doing it daily when I truthfully deep down understand and really appreciate the benefits? So hopefully, you know, with the the book and the film and the courses that you've got, we can really start to, I guess, fast track some of that with the guidance that we need to make it more of a, um, a natural behavior rather than it being like quite forceful because yeah, I don't want to wait 20 years to be experiencing the powerful benefits of a daily practice. I think we can do it, you know, we can start now and we can certainly, you know, get some guidance to help us if we, if we do need that support. Yeah, I wonder what technique she was doing. She needs to have a chat with me. About <laughs> with <that>. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's certainly, you know, uh, you know, when I teach workshops, you know, we see people start to transcend and experience a very profound state of deepness in that that silence. Um, you know, even just within the first weekend of the workshop. So it's um, yeah, there are different techniques, and some are easier than others, and some can take a really, really long time to master it. So um, I think. Yeah, don't be disparaged by by that. It's certainly within days you can start to establish a, an experience that's quite unique and significant and transformational. Yeah, absolutely. And finding the one that's right for you. Yeah. So you sound like you've got a lot on your plate, which is incredible because I just know you're so passionate on getting this message so far and wide. Um, but, yeah, what's what's next for Tom Cronin? Oh, gosh, you know, it's a great question. I keep pondering that myself. I mean, I do have a vision of things that I want to see play out and I'm kind of torn between um, a, a global movement that is, you know, a significant shift on the planet um, and then also just wanting to sit on the porch of a farm that I buy up north in Byron Bay and, <laughs> and, and go you. surfing a lot more. So <laughs> I know. I fluctuate backwards and forwards between those two things. But um, I'm doing a lot more coaching, which is the sweet spot of what I love, um, really going taking people through a, an intimate personal transformation um, and that's something that I've not been able to put a lot of the time and attention on over the last few years with the film. So doing a lot more of that, um, obviously seeing the film and the book and all of that come out into the world um, is, is also a big piece of my attention. So navigating between those two things, retreats is really a powerful journey that I, I just love taking people through. So we've got Bali coming up in May. Byron Bay in November. Um, we've got Greece next year as well. And we've got a really big event coming up in August, which is a three-day event in Noosa. Um, and that's um, going to be more conferency style for really learning the, and mastering the power of the mind and opening the hearts uh, of our audience. So that's going to be an exciting event called Alchemy, which we'll be talking more about soon. Oh, wonderful. So much to come. But yeah, I, I feel your pain between <laughs> wanting <laughs> yeah. to just, you know, kind of escape and just put all the strategies that you've learned along the way into practice and, and just be in nature as well as yep. yeah, finding that polarity between between that and then, you know, working to contribute and, and help others and continuing to help others as much as you do. Yeah, it's a, it's a conundrum that I think a lot of us in this space a challenge by <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm with you there um so the you mentioned of it all yeah, yeah exactly 
but but also good that you've acknowledged that coaching is what makes you happy because I think for a lot of us we tend to sort of move away from that one-on-one support and then ironically we get caught up in the business and we don't end up doing what really fills up our cup so I really respect that you've had time to acknowledge what makes you happy and and um, sounds like you've made some changes there to, to readjust that balance. Yeah, look, you know, everyone that was advising me, you know, business advisors and coaches, you know, it's just like scale, scale, scale. I'm like, but this is what I like doing. And I really started to listen in a lot more deeply um, at, at the, in January 2020 when I was doing my visioning for the year and times ahead. And for a long time, everything that I've been doing has been scale, 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 which is films, online programs and apps. And it was keeping me out of the sweet spot of what I love. And so I'd made a commitment to really make, a focus of things that make my heart sing this year and that's making a phenomenal shift. So um, I'd highly recommend to really tune into that for people um, and, and try to sift through a lot of the noise because if it's not making your heart sing, then you're not going to be in your sweet spot and you're not going to attract abundance anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. So you meant to, you mentioned the website enterthePortal.com.au. Where else can our listeners learn more and certainly follow what you're up to online? Yeah, uh, so it's enterthePortal.com and then it's just TomCronin.com. They can find everything at those two. Um, and obviously Instagram is Tom Cronin um, and Facebook. So, yeah, more than happy to hear from people. Feel free to reach out. Love to hear people's stories and journeys and questions. So, uh, you know, it's being available is a big part of what I do. Yeah. So wonderful. I've loved talking to you today and I'm just really looking forward to, I think I'm going to start with the book. I'll get my hands on a copy of the portal <laughs> um, and then dive into the film. So thank you for your inspiration. And I'm sure our listeners are keen to check out more as well today. Pleasure. It's been great to have you on, uh, to have me on. Thanks so much for inviting me along. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.